Here comes the night. <laughs> you may be crazy, but it just might be lunatic you're looking for. Okay, that's all I got. Wait a minute. Don't they have to wear, like, spacesuits? Dude, they're nude. No, but <laughs> to live. That <laughs> defeats the purpose. I'm so disappointed. This sounds amazing. And me? Yeah. Well, we can watch Nude on the Moon. That's what I'm hearing from you, Tucson. But seriously, what, what comes at night? Randy Quaid. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new horror mystery film, which is It Comes at Night, starring Joel Edgerton. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome into episode 116 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, and on this episode, we are discussing the new film called It Comes at Night. Here with me today, my two buddies, Nick Cheney. It comes the night. <laughs> you may be crazy, but it just might be lunatic you're looking for. Okay, that's all I got. Kept uh, going. Thank Love you. it. Thank you. Tucson Egan also here. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. See, there you're just oh, Lord. singing a song. like There's no <laughs> I've been waiting to... for this moment all my life. In the chorus line, guys. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he still got it. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a rapist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're gonna get to the film in a little bit, uh, and judging from uh, the way we've talked about this before starting the episode, I think we're all gonna have pretty unanimous thoughts on this film. Oh yeah. Um, and too, I was just thinking about this earlier today, uh, as I got an inkling of, of what you guys both thought about this film, that, uh, out of all the new movies we've reviewed, I had to go back over two years to find one just off the top of my head that we would have as unanimous of an opinion in one certain way. Was it Ex Machina? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. God damn. A24 knocking this shit out. Okay. Well, but it it was, uh, you know, we usually have somewhat differing opinions. Right. Even if it's all positive, all negative, Mm -hmm. mixed a little bit. But usually it's not over the top one way or the other. Yeah. I did not expect to, I did not expect to lean as heavily into this direction of my, my. Yeah impression of so, this as I did. So that being said, uh, you know, this will be uh, a pretty, I think, 
easy to have review. Oh yeah, yeah. God damn. Because yeah, even Whiplash wasn't technically a new film, so that was no. We that was like a catch up type. Yeah, thing. yeah. So, that was still a damn good episode though. What? Yeah, that yeah. was boy. That was. It's going back. That was early <laughs> on. Yes, it was. I think that was episode three. Yeah, yeah and oh it, it is. It is. I still have both my testicles. <laughs> it is. It is vintage. Um, if you are listening to this right now, you should go back and listen to that episode as well, too. Especially if you want to get good Kenny. That's uh, yeah. Kenny had some good moments. Oh yes, he did. Yeah. Especially his uh, his defense of J.K. Simmons in that film. Oh yeah, that was he was a hero. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, so we're gonna get to it comes at night. Uh, shortly, first off, oh, we can review our favorite little pre-segment on uh, Film Tank. And in addition to talking about what he's been watching and viewing and consuming in mm-hmm. the last uh, week or so, yeah, I know edibles. what like edibles or yeah, I don't know. Uh, cheeseburgers. I, I know two oh, cheeseburgers are good. Yeah, I know are. two. Uh, if you make if you make the right ones, yeah. <laughs> keep on breaking your chain of thought. Okay, yeah, go yeah. on. That's all your fault. Uh, I know Tucson had something else he wanted to mention, so uh, why don't you go ahead and lead us off, buddy? Yeah, we are... Spoilers. Okay, we are recording this on uh, June 15th. Um, It has roughly been at least... Has it been a week since he he passed away? Has it been... No. I think it was on Sunday. Okay, so... So it's been a few days. No, it was Saturday, because I was at the Dragon Boats. Okay. I was on a boat, you guys. That's that's great. It's been been not quite a week. It's been not quite a week Mm -hmm. uh, since uh, Adam West uh, passed away. Um, There's been a lot of sadness about it, and I think that, for me at least... Kanye, in particular, has taken it pretty hard. Yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, For me in particular, I... I never because their names are West. Yeah, it's fine. I never <laughs> grew up watching uh, Adam West like Batman, but it was always sort of a presence that I knew of while I was experiencing my iteration, which was like the the Bruce Tim animated series that aired on like Fox Kids, as, as like most '90s kids might, you might remember. I think I know oh. that Alex uh, very much enjoyed that series when it was on. Yeah, at the time. absolutely. Um. I think that Adam West is more than the role of Batman. I think Adam West was a larger-than-life personality, and I think that he had a lot to offer and a lot to give to whatever um, role that he that he found himself in. I know that probably for a lot of listeners, the the most probably the most salient role of that might have been his sort of self-parody of himself via um, his role on Family Guy. That might be like one of the most visible roles, like the most persistent visible roles. That's a long-running role. I know, but yeah. No, but I'm just saying, like, if you step back and think about it, like, that's been like 13 seasons or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it it has. And I think that, for me at least... um, I've always respected the man. I've always respected the humor that he brought to the role of Batman because I feel like that's something that we sorely maybe need not so much to lean entirely into, but we need sort of like a return to sort of a lightheartedness in in the 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 demeanor of our superheroes just so that we don't like spiral into like some um, nihilistic sinkhole of, of, of media consumption. I got to tell you, I don't think people would buy it. I, I don't give a fuck what people would buy. I, I know what I... That's the problem. I, I think that... Fuck like you, Christopher Nolan. I, I think that Lego Batman did incredible, and I think that yeah. that film 
is owed entirely to the legacy no, of, and, and of Adam West in his comic portrayal of Batman. That that much camp? <clears throat> I don't think so. Yeah, I, not not as much camp as he brought to it in back in the day. That's very much characteristic of his time. But I think though. that camp is very much yeah, ingrained well, sure. into the history of yeah. Batman. I've never seen the movie, but I've seen a lot of the series. And yeah. I'm, I know that they're at least similar enough to say that it's all on the same boat. Right. Um, as someone who's been watching a lot, I used to watch the original series yeah. back when I was a kid because my dad would watch it. Mm-hmm. So I like I didn't love it, but I definitely was exposed to it. It was more. a peripheral viewing. Yeah. yeah. And like I knew Adam West before I knew Michael Keaton as yeah. far as like being known of who Batman was. So now I've been rewatching this was before Adam West passed away, but mm-hmm. weirdly enough when I started to watch Batman over again right. is also now is uh Converged. Converged with this. And I got to say, going back and watching it, like those movies or the series of the movie is like it is definite camp. But Adam West, especially compared to the others, Mm -hmm. is not really camping it up. It's it's weird. I would say it's more of an effect of everybody else around him. Like he plays that role – very, he's very much mature and he's, serious. He's a comedic straight man. Yeah, but but he. I'm not saying he'll never make you laugh he, in it. He leans into it. But he is very much, I would say, genuine You're in right. his sincerity as Bruce Wayne or Batman, and that's kind of what, for me at least, that's what's been making this rewatch work a lot. Like it's as campy as it is, it's also just extremely wholehearted. Like right. it is a kids show. That adults would love for different reasons. What are you saying? That's a better superpower than what's your superpower? I'm rich. I think that (laughs) I I recently watched Uh, this clip um, that that kind of resurfaced. I I absolutely fucking hate this show, but I actually like this clip because I think it sort of like summed up what the 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 legacy of Adam West Batman is, and it's from the the Big Bang Theory where he had like a guest star in it, like like a guest spot in it, right? And they mm-hmm. were in a car together. And they were talking about the power rankings of Batman's and stuff, right? And there was like this one dweeb in the back who was who was just like, oh yeah, Christian Bale, he's the guy who literally embodied like I'm Batman. I'm just, and Adam West was like, please, he had to say I'm Batman. When I showed up, people knew that I was fucking Batman, <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, that's. That, that that's the truth. People, he, he didn't need to announce it. He just was who he was. They fucking called him. Um, but I, I think that for me, in in sort of processing uh, Adam West's death, one, I, it doesn't really personally affect me. I respect him, and two, it's because the role of Batman and the personality of Adam West both feel so much larger than life that it is hard to fathom a world that is truly without him and so that it hasn't really hit me in its entirety but i know that he has left a a large enough cultural footprint within and outside of his role as batman that i feel like we'll still be able to refer to and and to honor his work long after he has passed the only parallel in my opinion in the pop culture world as to the, the passing of adam west uh, would be losing Sean Connery because, oh like, I'm just saying as yeah, far as, like, yeah. I don't think any other property that has changed hands with, uh, like, Bond, with uh, who plays it, um, ranks up there with the icon- uh, iconic appeal of who's in the suit versus uh, whether it's a bad suit or uh, Bond's tux. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are other certain properties that are definitely up there, as, but like... I would agree. Not everybody is going to be into Doctor Who or, you know, like that kind yeah, but, of thing. But, but those two are very much diametrically opposed in that you have Adam West, who is known for going to an... 
going to a celebrity party with one of his co-stars who played the Riddler, happening upon a celebrity <laughs> orgy, and then getting kicked out of said orgy because they would not stop breaking, they would not stop being in character as Batman and Riddler, respectively, versus Sean Connery, who has had some allegations of some I'm real not saying fucked like up shit. Man, the, I know, I know. I'm saying the stature of uh, yes. what they started. Right, right, well, right. Sh- Sean Connery, for sure, was a much bigger uh, presence in pop yeah. culture. Yeah. However, I will say this, though. Yeah. Boy, Adam West uh, has been somewhat active up yeah. until his passing. Yeah. Sean Connery hasn't done anything yeah. since the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. One so. of the most... Uh, <laughs> it was his last film. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that was like 15 years ago. Yeah. So. One of the biggest news stories from last year was when uh, Adam West and Burt Ward uh, reunited to uh, lend their voices to a new animated property that was going to reprise their roles uh, mm. as their yeah. Batman and Robin. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's. But you know what? Um, I feel like Batman and the property has become in vogue again. Like, yeah, yeah. I know absolutely. Batman has been here since right. Adam West. Not like it's ever gone anywhere. But like, even like okay, like it had us resurgence obviously with Christopher Nolan. But yeah. I feel like even now it's more. That's why we're getting Lego Batman movies. It's been steamrolled into this larger, like this pissing match between Marvel and DC and Batman has sort of his, his clout and his popularity have been sort of weaponized to, towards that. Can game. I, can I say something real quick, by the way? Yeah. You yes. know what? This is a total sideswipe, but it is well-deserved. Fuck Joel Schumacher because he took advantage of Adam West's death being in the news to again, apologize for Batman and Robin. And that's the third time. Are you serious? Yeah. That's the third time he's done that. What the and fuck? Fucking just let it go. You ruined your career. <laughs> it's over. Just stop trying to take any sort of possibility to how, get your name out there. How did he? How did he? Joel Schumacher <laughs> and his film is proof that like the, the the original series was not an accident. Like there was actual craft and work put into sustaining that tone. Well, that clearly Joel Schumacher. The, the problem does is, not is if you look at Burgess Meredith playing the Penguin, and then you look at Arnold playing Mister Freeze, there's clearly a different level of acting going on. There. No, 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 guys, you need to explain to me how Joel Schumacher managed to hijack the announcement of Adam West's Batman. Was he asked wait, about what? his reaction? Like, wait, did he... Did he no, no, he, he just... He's, he, he just was, coincidentally... He, he Well, coincidentally... Just, he like, because doing, Batman was in the news and yeah, he had he was, to say... he was doing an interview and he said, oh, I'm going to, you know, take this... this the, like, it seemed like a, a thing that... But, like, for me, like, that would not have even been in the realm of possibility of catching any news if it hadn't been for... Adam West Riding on the coattails yeah. of Adam West's and death. The, well, the the bigger problem for me is that this is the third time he's gone out of his way to say this. And it's like, dude, we heard you the first time and it didn't matter then either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Please let me direct another film. Put your bat credit card away. <laughs> that was actually in the third one. That was, How was it? Oh, actually, no, you're. Uh, I'm, I'm incorrect. It was in the fourth one. Yeah, I know my Batman trivia. No, also in the fourth one is when they slapped their feet together and skates came out. Which Ooh, I uh, was magic. So I've never seen this. I you've see never it. seen that. Oh man, we've got to. We've yeah. got to someday. We do just for kicks. Yeah. It is not. It it is fun. Bad in a much different way than the original Batman series with Adam West. I um I saw the set designs. The there there were actual photos from the people who designed the the sets for. Uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever and say what you will about the films themselves like those colossuses those 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 
miniaturette uh, uh, skyscrapers are fucking beautiful. Batman, we need an art book of Batman, that shit. Batman Forever, people really don't unanimously hate that film, I don't think. Baby! Okay. I mean, it, for the most part, like, it's, like, okay. Yeah. Like, it, it's there. And then Batman and Robin happened, and it was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What have we done? Alicia Silverstone is here. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Brace face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, did you have anything else, Tucson, that you wanted to mention? I mean, I watch other stuff, but that's really, I'm, okay. I'm all reviews my time. That's gotcha. fine. Yeah, go on. I will go next, because I really have very little uh, to say in terms of, of media. I've been... Um, spending most of my time watching film, preparing for uh, our next Film Tank episode, which we'll talk about, uh, we'll preview a little bit before we uh, we end this one. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I like the. I, I fucking hate you so much. I just like the. That was great. Just yeah. Boy, that just keeps coming up, too, all the time throughout those. And it's like, oh, no. I forgot his ref. Well, I won't say it because then, yeah. then we'll get rid of away and I won't say it. Well, it's fine. No, it's not. It, okay. Anyways, <laughs> uh, the only other real film that I sat down and watched, and this is kind of ridiculous because we... film for real fans. <laughs> I look how you move the microphone away, but it's still... I ridiculous. will not be caught. <laughs> you it's... Okay. I am not a crook. Oh. <laughs> All right, Donald. Um, so we just did a, a review on this, but I wanted to mention this because I'm giving it a slightly higher rating right off the bat. So Wonder Woman went with uh, my wife, Emily, to go see this. Uh, and it was my second viewing of it. And I was even more of a fan than on last week's episode, um, specifically uh, that final climactic battle slash dialogue riddled scene, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing in that specific situation, uh, between Wonder Woman and Ares, uh, Gal Gadot and David Thewlis, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And other than a couple of really bad CGI moments, I actually quite enjoyed the uh, opening scene uh, in 20 or so minutes uh, on Diana Prince's home island, and uh, I didn't love that as much the first time. So that's really all I got. I just wanted to put it out there that an even higher rating for me for uh, Wonder Woman, and I'm a, I'm a fan for sure. Moving on to Nick. Hi. What's up, buddy? I've been watching. Um, I've been watching whatchamacallit, These movies that are a part of the catalog. Something weird video, Ooh. which is dated back from since the '80s when yeah. they were putting out uh, VHSs of uh, very bizarre and obscure sexploitation horror mm-hmm. other oddities. You've and, really like gone way deep into those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, and I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, found, my, <laughs> found my calling. Yeah, that's great. So I watched two uh, videos. Um, one was Bad Girls Go to Hell. Oh, wow. What happened in that one? Well, there was a bad girl. <gasps> no, actually, it was a much more arty film than I thought, oh. which is kind of why I've been digging through these. I um, So Bad Girls Go to Hell is... Uh, <laughs> Directed by the queen of exploitation back in the 60s and 70s, Doris Wisham. Because you always hear about the males who made these films. And it's funny because even the rhetoric surrounding uh, 
the males will be like, oh, this could be construed as a feminist movie if you look at, you know, and I, I buy into some of that. Mm-hmm. But we never actually talk about who was making equally, if not better, movies, which was uh, Doris Wisham. Um, Bad Girls Go to Hell has the pacing of a John Cassavetes movie um, with the sexploitation that you normally found from... Uh, her contemporaries. Films of that ilk. Yeah, Herschel Gordon-Lewis and many others. And it was essentially just about a woman who basically cheats on her husband. The husband finds out, and then she goes to another city. I think she goes to New York City. And she is basically just passed from person to person because nobody will not abuse her in some way. Um, And it's very much... uh, it's very interesting because the final moments of the movie reveal that it was all a dream, but it was done in a way that was actually not cheap because it actually suggests her fantasy is to be a victim of this patriarchal mm. society and whether that's wrong or right. I, you know, I, Everybody's got their kink, I guess. They do. Um, and, it, and not only that, but when she wakes up, it the movie ends with the fact that she does have her own agency like that that didn't happen to her maybe she wants it to happen but you know whatever so i, I just thought that was kind of fascinating it was it has this extremely jazzy soundtrack um there's some great camera angles uh on the flip side i watched uh another sexploitation film from a different person i forgot who it was uh called the touch of her flesh and this one this one was not very good um although the credits i still can't i don't think i'll ever until the day i die be able to make up my mind whether the opening credits are pure art or pure bullshit because it is literally That's a good space to live in. It is literally a woman, a naked woman standing in front of the camera and someone taking an overhead projector and projecting the credits onto her naked body mm. until even the final directed by credit where she actually re- <laughs> parts her breasts like the Red Sea and <laughs> the directed by credit gets wow. Sh- uh, Sh- shined right, yeah, yeah. right right there. In, yeah, shown. In, yeah, right in between the Twin Peaks. So <laughs> I this movie's I will say this movie's plot though is much more bizarre. It was about a um a guy was, was this directed by Vincent Gallo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a fan. Um it was so the plot is that this guy um leaves his house or he's him and his wife are traveling they're in a hotel room he goes to a conference to give a speech he's a weapons expert or an arms dealer or something he's the lord of war pretty much actually nicholas cage but he loses his speech so he has to go back to back to the hotel like he no 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 not like he can't talk he loses his speech written down, goes back to the hotel room, Sorry. and he finds out what the audience was clued in onto, which is that his wife is a prostitute and takes men in wherever she goes. And so what's great, though, is he walks in on them, and he's so catatonic and distraught by what he sees that he runs out, and he's immediately hit by a car. So he spends the rest of the movie in a wheelchair because he's paralyzed, and he lost an eye somehow. And he goes around murdering strippers and other women he doesn't feel deserve to live on this earth, um, all the while praying to a god that is clearly uh, not listening to him. Um, I'll give it credit. It was gonzo. It certainly, 
I, you you can call it misogynistic, but what did the, if you're watching these movies to begin with, what did the title sequence have to do with the film itself? Was did that woman boots. actually have any? Oh, okay. I mean, that's really you know. Was it was it about the commodification? Was it about the commodification of of boots. female beauty and and oh no, it was the commodification of female beauty. Okay, yeah. I see. Yeah, that is pretty fucking trashy. There was a there was a pimple on a butt, so it's I, not like they were like you the, know. I'm just saying they weren't like you know Don't. polishing this, um, but yeah, he goes around and then eventually he even cuts off his own wife's head with a table saw. So nice, you know. I got to admit, it, it wasn't one of Man, the best and, examples of this genre, but one of these days we're gonna watch one of these. Programs. Him and him and William H Macy from yeah. Boogie Nights should hook up. That's right. Be a badass Starsky and Hutch duo. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. <laughs> So yeah, uh, the touch of her flesh, not great. But man, if you've never heard of something weird, uh, their dicks are so cheap. They're like usually four to five dollars, and usually they put like three movies on one, and they're actually good transfers. They're not just like hmm. they, they are clean. they Blu-rays or are they no, they're DVDs because they're ne- yeah, I thought so. Yeah. A few are Blu-rays. Um, one of who, the Doris Wishman. Who what? made this? This isn't Vinegar Syndrome, is it? No, this is something weird video. They, oh, um, okay. They're from the 80s, and they've been doing it as long as VHSs have been around. Oh. Holy fuck. So, yeah. So they know they're trash. Right. And they <laughs> only moved to DVD because that's the new standard. Well, yeah. They would never move to Blu-ray, at least permanently, mm. until, for some reason, that took over. Yeah. But, no, their sets are fun. Even on the bonus features, they actually have vintage uh, drive-in reels. Oh. So, like, if we had a Grindhouse night or something, you could literally click on it and there's 30 minutes of you know what you'd expect like let's all go to the movies go to the concession stand uh, all those vintage reels and shit so i gotta go to the uh drive-in some i know i don't remember the last time we should we should should. because there's still the one here and i I thought i heard it was supposedly closing but i don't think it is no i I saw the other day that uh beauty of the beast i think was one of the opening films yeah while we still have it we should probably enjoy it especially if we live in the midwest and especially now with you know making it super easy in terms of having to being or having the ability to put the audio through your radio Mm -hmm. i mean in not having to have those ridiculous speakers that you hound off your car window i mean it's it's just a good time, yeah. really, and a different film viewing experience. So, Great. yeah. So um, basically, my advice for anybody if you're getting into this shit, uh, if Doris uh, Doris Wisham directed it, you're in good hands. Uh, on that uh, note, I will say I will report back uh, when I've watched her very famous film, Nude on the Moon, <laughs> in which two men build their own rocket. Oh uh, yeah, fly to the moon and. Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> there is a nudist colony on the moon. <laughs> so before they get there, no, they don't know that until no, no. But, oh yeah, oh. Oh, they've just been living there, just been chilling there, <laughs> nude on the. Wait moon. a minute! Don't they have to wear like spacesuits? Dude, they're nude. No, but <laughs> to live that <laughs> defeats the purpose. I'm so disappointed. This sounds amazing. And me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can watch Nude on the Moon. That's what I'm hearing from you, Tucson. We'll, we'll watch Nude on the Moon. Don't worry. I've actually been thinking one of these days, if we can, this summer, I want to have a basically a grindhouse night where I pick, pick three random movies, all very short, and I force you guys to watch them. 
That sounds that sounds great. Yep, mm. but they'd all be very different, so it's not like I it wouldn't get monotonous. Mm. And they'd all uh, none of them would I would I, I would count as like extreme. It's not like it would be like three good luck Miss Wyckoffs in a row. Or oh something my like that. god, I would, would I would die. I'm just saying, like I'd be I would make dead sure by number two. <laughs> I'm just saying, I would make sure that there's an actual spontaneity and just uh, yeah. momentum. Oh Jesus! Them. I think we should do that. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna yeah. do it. Sounds good. Nude on the moon. <laughs> that's one of them. That's for sure. Yeah. So, as uh, previously mentioned, the film we are talking about today is It Comes at Night. It Comes at Night. More like It Comes Just Right, because <laughs> I was a fan. Oh, yeah, boy. Uh, this film is a horror mystery, and I would say there's definitely some suspense in this film as well. This is absolutely a suspense so. film. Yeah, so... Uh, IMDb isn't always the greatest, but you know, whatever. They're the worst. So, <laughs> so, according to IMDb, this actual plot description was written by A24. So, so, can't we'll blame them. I haven't read it yet, so we'll see what this is. Okay. okay. Secure within a desolate home as an unnatural threat terrorizes the world, a man has established a tenuous domestic order with his wife and son. But this will soon be put to the test when a desperate young family arrives seeking refuge. Yep, perfect. That, yep. That's pretty good. Yep. It's great when uh, the studio writes it. It's well, it, it's, it's great when a real studio writes something, not like, you know, yeah. Universal or somebody like that. Yeah. So this film, uh, in terms of people you would know, for the most part, stars Joel Edgerton, also Carmen Ajogo, who we've seen pretty recently. Uh, she was just an Alien Covenant. Uh, and she, yeah. 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 And uh, she also yeah. was in Selma a few years ago as Coretta well. Coretta Scott King, which is the second time she's ever played Coretta Scott King. So she's got like a monopoly. There you go. Uh, also, Riley yeah. Keough is here. We also love her. Yeah, we've seen her recently, uh, as we talked about the discovery a few weeks ago. But specifically, if you don't understand my love for Riley Kehoe, you have to watch The Girlfriend Experience Season 1, in which she's the main character, and it's a character study, and it's an anthology show, so you only have to watch one season, and she's fantastic. Anyway. Hmm. And we also have Christopher Abbott here playing yes. the character of Will. Yep. Uh, he uh, was a played a minor character in the film A Most Violent Year. Did uh, and he's made a couple other things. He was, uh, I think, his first real notoriety was when he played a major character in the first two seasons of Girls. Oh, mm-hmm. there you go, Marnie's boyfriend. Yep. And Girls. then he kind of pulled a Shia LaBeouf and was like, "I'm gonna go do art now," mm. and he didn't really do that. <laughs> and they had to like write it off extremely abruptly. It was kind of awkward because he seemed like kind of a dick. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not a good actor. That's probably because he is. Please, uh, please bring me back. This was... Uh, this specific film was written and directed by Trey Edward Schultz, who really hasn't done much of anything else. So this is a, uh, yeah. a real win for him, obviously, is it's some sort of notoriety and will perhaps give him a shot with a budget that isn't south of $2 million. From the son of the cartoonist who brought you the peanuts. It's, it's, it's a different it spelling, at, but that's okay. It was a good try. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, for the most part, Toussaint drove this film home and wanting to do an episode. And this kind of just just happened to come together. Ha-ha! <laughs> at night! Ha-ha! Because you had said last week before we started recording the Wonder Woman episode that you wanted to do an episode on this mm-hmm. and that you were interested in it. And we said, well, it just sort of got a 
see what theaters it's playing at. Right. It just sort of got a limited release, and you'd said, oh, it's in a theater right down the street pretty much. And it's like, okay. And we had an open spot as we've we've got an episode planned for next week mm-hmm. on our next episode. But this week we were kind of looking for, for ideas, and it just kind of all came together. Came together. Yeah. So um, do you want to start us off since, since yeah. this, this is horror... Uh, even though Nick's clearly gotten way more into the horror genre in the last year or so, yeah. this is really your bag. And yeah. um, and I know you were really pumped for this one, so just start us off. I was. Um, I'm, I've been a fan of A24 in recent years just because I realized that most of the films that we as, as film goers have been excited for, I mean, we all have very different, diverse tastes, um, but I feel like a lot of the most interesting projects as of late have been coming out of a24 i don't know why that is i mean the lobster came out of out of that the well, the all, ex machina came out of that but they're all acquisitions you yeah know? the lobster yeah. uh ex machina i think definitely the but all these movies um would you call it swiss army men these yeah. are movies that were made before they're just very good at figuring out which one they should pick up. they're very good at curating and i feel like they do definitely have a oh yeah and, and the witch too like they're, they're just very Spring good breakers i mean if you hate that movie that, yeah i feel that like that's right in with the brand it really well does. i mean they're they're clearly a um, was melancholia part of that no okay they're clearly a a studio that is definitely gaining a lot of steam but at yeah. the same time they're they're picking up a lot of properties from the um, film festival circuit. They strike me as and, relative newcomers, but they actually they seem are. to have a distinctive voice compared to somebody like Fox Searchlight. Yeah. or what the fuck know. does Fox Searchlight do? No, well, but, they have like, but they clearly movies. Have, they but, have movies, but what the fuck do they do? As, as you're mentioning, they Nick, though, movies. getting back on the the rails here. Yeah, uh, as you're mentioning, Nick, they they obviously have a good eye for, and they have a pretty good idea of of either what will not necessarily bring in huge dollars at the box office, but will get them noticed that, oh man, they've had all of these films that have critical acclaim. I'm right. saying when you li- if you were to if you were at a if a video store still existed and you had an A twenty four section and you were to see all the covers mm-hmm. of the movies that they, you know, acquired You'd be like shit. I, you'd be like shit, but you would also in my opinion at least, I would feel like there would be like actual harmonization of looking at all of them mm-hmm. and seeing why one, you know, company said yes to all of them. Even mm-hmm. like, you know, like um I think a movie that we did not care for, but I uh, I think I liked it a little bit more, but the bling ring. Um, yeah, I didn't care for that. But it's, I think it fits in with their brand of giving the voices to these kind of, not, I wouldn't even say independent because. I mean, it's Sofia Coppola. Right. And some of these movies, whether they have smaller budgets or higher, like they, they're pretty big budgets for. That was a weird movie. It was. Just because, was it? it that, was, that was early on after Harry Potter. Emma Watson was not really sure what she was going to be as a real-world actress. Yeah. But she was she, the best part of that movie. She was, but she played, uh, it was, she played a supporting character who had a really kind of almost like um, clueless Alicia Silverstone kind of She's just accent. feeling it out, man. No, man. It was, yeah. it was a, a interesting performance by her in a otherwise yeah. uh, terrible movie. Right. <laughs> um, so bringing that, that kind yeah. of back, it's like, you know, I, I, I've been a fan of A24's like previous output in the past. Also, um, really quick, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but we just spent all that time, but of course we didn't say the fact that Moonlight, and they got their first yes. best picture. Exactly. And it's just like, there's literally... 
there are too many films for me to name that have come out of this 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 production house or, or, or this acquisition house that are just exemplary in my mind. They might and, eventually end up that might be the Yeah, but right goal. but for right now they are in their stride. I think so. They're they're definitely in their stride. So obviously I was looking forward to this. I saw the first teaser trailer and the first posters for it and I immediately got like the the vibe of holy shit, this could be like the next sort of this could be like the next witch. And I really enjoyed the witch and I, I would I would enjoy like seeing another film sort of like in that vein. And Going into the theater and finally like watching the film uh, for the first time, it's it's definitely not the witch in in my opinion, but it is it is definitely something all its own, and I am so happy that I was able to see this in theaters just because mm-hmm. it is um, without spoiling anything of it because we're just going to go back into just into general impressions. I think this is one of the most gorgeously shot films I have seen this year yet because holy fuck I love the color grading I love the cinematography I love the kind of like slow iris like pull pull ins and pull outs I love um this one scene when Joel Egerton is like driving uh his truck and the camera literally like moves to actually encompass the windshield so that you feel like you are actually like sitting in the car I know that sounds it it sounds like it's dorky, but it actually really fucking works. It's he very is, immersive. He has come such a such a long way. Who in, the director or no Joel Edgerton? Yeah, like, he is like he is like on the cusp of being a like big boy real actor. Yeah, he was. He, he definitely he is a big boy. Real no, no. I, I mean, uh, in terms of being in the discussion yeah. for being baby boy person. Shut the fuck up, Nick. In terms of being in the discussion, like we were, we were kind of mentioning at the end of the last episode of being. Up there with people like Oscar Isaac, Michael Fassbender, people who are eventually gonna he's gonna find a way to sneak into really large starring roles. Prestige Joel, roles. Joel Egerton though is less that, in my opinion, as far as his trajectory, mm. than mm. he's just a fucking jack of all trades because mm. he directed and uh wrote The Gift. And I thought mm. that as a director he was fantastic and of course he was a just one Star. of the stars of yeah. that movie. So, like, I, I think he's becoming one of the my favorite actors of this generation. And he's not like a, in my opinion at least, like Ben Affleck, who is like a wannabe director. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I just think he's like... Ben Affleck's a wannabe? good directing work. He did Argo. It's not Argo. I stand by that. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. It's in other films that were good Argo as well. is... Is interesting because Ben Affleck directed it because just like Ben Affleck, Argo itself is like watching a bunch of people try to make a movie. Ooh, shit. Scoop McNary's in Argo. You back off. Yep. Back off, sir. Yeah. What is it? Not the town. I I didn't like that movie either. No. Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone, his first movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And even that, I wouldn't say it's good because of his directorial, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. No, Joel Edgerton is a very, very talented uh, person, and he's done, for the most part, even in the films that I think you would even say you don't like, like his performance in Great Gatsby, he's one of the better parts of that film. So one of the best parts of uh, Animal Kingdom, and he's, spoilers, technically not in it for very long. Animal Kingdom is such a good movie. We need to watch that again. I love that movie. Um, Obviously, this is, that's like... That's, that movie only gets better and better for me. I mean, I liked it, be, loved it to begin with. But yeah. like, the fact that you have literally 
Ben Mendelsohn and Joe Egerton like yeah. uh, like bookending your movie. It's just I don't. I think maybe the only performance for Ben Mendelsohn that I like more than that is in Killing Them Softly. But he's he is. I mean that that's where Joel Edgerton's yeah. going in terms of, and he's got the notoriety already for the yeah. most part, and he's got the talent to get just to yeah to sort of like slide in and just like yeah and Could continue to, with your opening remarks to, to sort of like end off with my beginning remarks so that we can like move this, move this we around. like Australian actors I know um, Joel Edgerton definitely gives one of the strongest if not the strongest performance in this film in that he is legitimately terrifying. He's a terrifying human being in this in this film, and it's just it, it's a magnetic and captivating performance on his part. I really enjoyed it. His so. uh, his character obviously is written similarly, reminded me a lot of Hugh Jackman's character in the movie Prisoners. Yeah, um, have you ever seen that? I don't think I've. That seen is a very good film. Have I seen Prisoners? That was like before Denis Villeneuve was even known as a director. Oh yeah, before he was Blade Runner. Before he was, before well, his Blade Runners, done, before, before Blade Runner hasn't even come out yet. So <laughs> yeah, I, know, I don't right? know that. Was, uh, before Sicario, yeah. it was before Arrival. Uh, yeah. But Arrival. no, he, um, Hugh Jackman's character in that um, very much yeah, kind of like the dad that'll do whatever it takes. Well, and someone who's prepared family prepared for the apocalypse, and anyone who thinks he's incorrect is he. he also, like Tim Robbins' character in uh, War of the Worlds, even though it isn't a great film, where it's just like, oh, fuck, this is the wrong person. It's an okay film. You like that one? Yeah. I don't hate it. I was going to say, I don't hmm. love it. Anyway. Yeah, but um, just <laughs> kind of everywhere. like tying it all together, <laughs> I I like the aesthetic of this film. I like the film, the cinematography. I like the, the sound editing. I like Joel Egerton. And I actually like, uh, oh, my God, I love um the use of light sources particularly in the case of the lamp and how like there was yeah yeah alex is like shaking his head because, okay i got a, real quick uh, i gotta have this one do you, just give me a second do you want me to pass it on to you no no okay uh, but just real quick i want to yeah. say this yeah and i i made an audible reaction in the theater to this um nick can, can attest to this because we saw this together yeah uh, when yeah, I was the, getting uncomfortable. Shut the fuck up. When the son and I'm blanking his name right now. I have yeah. To look at it. Oh, yeah. Travis. Hmm? Travis. Travis. Yeah. At night, when he's making one of his night rounds, mm-hmm. and he's walking down the stairs, yes. and you see the reflection in the mirror. Yes. With the, oh man. Yes, I love. Oh. I love the way that the film plays with the use of a single light source, a solitary light source, in order to, um pretty much inform the contours of 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 the space of the house and the mise-en-scene of the house i love i love the mise-en-scene of the house because like the first scene that you see him like going into his room as as it were and hanging out with his dog like i i saw the most prominent painting on there and i was like is that a Hieronymus bosch painting over there (laughs) i'm just like oh i know what i'm getting into now yep we're starting from the jump yeah how how about the uh the light source that was coming from the front of the rifle when uh, he's out at nighttime that's the only light that's on the ec oh man that oh my god that was so fucking good yeah um uh just kind of like pivoting off Mm -hmm. of of that i know (laughs) One of these days, somebody is going to make a, a spoof video of A24 films, 
and they're going to totally take the piss out of a recurring trend, which is the use of a solitary light source at night at a dinner table because that happened also in The Witch. Like, it's only a matter hey, they, of time. If, they share if it, the same goat. If it, Oh, they do. They do. We, <laughs> I was a little we disappointed. We need to talk about the A24 cinematic universe. Hold on. I was a little disappointed because that was like – I'm not saying it was like – It was a cameo. But it was a cameo <laughs> at best. It was like – in the back of the front, I'm just saying I wanted to see a little Black Phillip action, and I didn't get did, uh, it. Did A24 do Midnight Special? I don't think so. I don't no. think, I don't think so. so. Okay. Um, I have to look it up. Anyway. Okay. Hey, Joel Egerton's great in that. Yes. Oh, but Schultz actually worked on uh, Midnight Special. Did he? Make, yeah. Makes sense. He was the, the actually the, the, he was the guy who handled <laughs> the cinematography for the opening Title scene where it like it had the smash cut. Well, that's the only really good part of that film. Fuck oh, yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's my favorite part. Well, that's a different statement. <laughs> well, that's a different statement. So if I can uh, go into my, go for it, man. Just jumping off yeah. thoughts. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much with Tucson, where I thought this was an absolute fantastic film, and this is not a genre that's really up my alley. So. It usually takes a film that really does a lot of things well to get me as behind it as I was behind this film. And uh, this is really going. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, you brought that up so many times. Who doesn't like Blaze of Glory? (laughs) We haven't done an episode on it yet. but (laughs) Yeah. John Heater. I mean, that was pretty much when his career went to shit. So, yeah. Um. Everything from the story, the pacing, the structure, uh, the lighting, the cinematography, the sound design, the the score. Oh my god, the score here is so good. And it's the first time since Birdman that I've heard someone do a very percussion heavy score that didn't sound like Birdman. Yeah, like, <laughs> like they actually came up with a new score, and it fits so well. <laughs> We're just splicing Birdman. I'm yeah. just saying, the, yeah, the things I even love, like Fargo, kind of did it in season two, and a mm. few. Anyway, it became a trend for a little while. Yeah, um, it just fits so well, uh, and uh, especially like kind of the the way that the score is implemented in. Uh, the montage scene when they're outside and things are going kind of good for like a minute. And um, just there's just so many things about this film that are just so well done. And I'm I'm happy that we saw it because this is not a film I would have sought out. It's not a film I would have seen in the theater. And as someone who loves good theater experiences, I would urge anybody and you don't have a lot of time. In fact, as we if we follow our. Recent trend, by the time this episode's posted, this will be long (laughs) gone from every theater. Um, This is definitely a film to see in the theater, only because the beauty of it on the screen and the sound that you're going... In a pitch black place, too, because you can't have that at home, even at night. And and the sound, even if you have surround sound at home, it's not going to match what you can do in the theater. Uh, Just everything about this film, even though I didn't... Love it uh, as one of my favorite films of all time or anything like that. This is an absolute fantastic film that I have very little um, not-so-great things to say about. I mean, this is just good work done all around by all parties involved. And it just has something at every turn that keeps you intrigued. Uh, It doesn't have a ridiculously long runtime. And it is just um, it's just a really, really good film that I am 
very happy that we were able to to see and, and talk about on this episode. So not much more to say o- opening thoughts wise, just uh, a very good film. And um, the sound effects in this film for me uh, were, were something that shouldn't be a reason why you love a film. But the sound of the crackling of the fire when they are burning the bodies, there's just something about it that just sounds so authentic. Um, and I don't even know if it was the sound of a crackling fire. Like, that's the great thing about sound effects is that if you find the right sound, even if it's not exactly what it sounds like, but it sounds like what it should sound like to the viewer in a theater, it just Let's hits the right notes. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Uh, fire specifically, fire itself is in, a major part of this film. Is a major part of this film, yeah. and also has been in cinema since the birth of the movie. Care like that's obvious, you know. Somehow in this movie, I saw fire photographed in a way I've never seen before. Like that, yeah. In and of itself, is an incredible feat. When um, and I say that even like comparing it to movies like The Revenant, which may be more. I was just thinking of that. Technically yeah. dazzling and air like. Mm-hmm. This was a little more like hyper focused, like in composing each individual shot. In- well, and the difference between this and a film like The Revenant, which I also absolutely love, is that the film like The Revenant, like that was that was the thing about it. Like it was Lubezki with right. um, using all natural lighting with all yeah, of this the is way more talented people around him, and this true. is a bottom of the barrel budget film that looks fantastic. It does. And there's a shot in here where after the first body, which is the grandpa is burned. Um, the camera cuts. I don't even think it moves up, but it cuts to the branches above the fire and the orange swallowing oh, yeah. the branches. Oh. I'm not seeing that in that man. I'm not saying no one's ever done something similar or right. whatever, but that actually took my breath away. Like, yeah. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen because I was seeing actual color grading on on an independent level that was like as good as the pros. Like it was amazing. So. Yeah. All right. With that, Nick, uh, why don't you just go right into your initial thoughts? Thank you, Alex. Right on. I will. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, I asked that you guys both be quiet though for the next twenty minutes while I talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, now I'm actually not joking, Tucson. Yeah. Um, no, I I gotta say, uh, I love this movie. I, <laughs> there's no question about it. Obviously, if you know anything about my interests, this was scarily <laughs> right up my alley from the single setting. I was gonna say yeah. the this, you know, and not even the set, like not even the fact that it's sh- like in one room, but like there's a defined geography. Like that's what I most love. It's it, and of course, single locations are a way to just do it automatically. <laughs> um, but when you get to know every bit of this one little acre of land, um, and to have that be explored through the lens of a psychological thriller as taut as this one was just one of the most uh, gratifying things I've seen uh, in the theater. I thought the resistance to um, even hinting at what <laughs> is out there was fucking incredible. Let's talk about that for a <laughs> we can. Can, can we just, uh, yeah. as a group, talk about that? Yeah. Because that's something that's been brought up by... It's been divisive among yeah. the, yeah, the by, critical by, section of this. By other people. 
And as someone who likes, me personally, likes knowing more things about the universe mm-hmm. and but that kind of thing. That, like, you, no. no, no, I was going to say, I, I almost want to, I, I want to give even more credit. I think it's yeah. less that, like, you like, like, having to have answers so much as you like a mythology, like an sure. actual world to, like, yeah. yeah anyway. But um, when me and Nick walked out of the theater, one of my first comments about this film is how much I appreciated that this went out of its way to not even comment really on why this was happening, what was happening really. You had to either pick it up for yourself or just be fine with not knowing. So, and it it, it was great. Occam's razor. Yeah. There is nothing. Yeah. And we only project that because of a, a title. Yeah. Which has no bearing on yeah. the actual, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what's scary, hmm. <laughs> scary about this movie and why it's so damn good is that I think a lot of people are hung up on the title. Yeah. Like, alone. Like, there what are a few. It? Right. Yeah. They like, were expecting an giving, M. Night Shyamalan film. Yeah. This, is, this it, is different than The Thing. There is no thing. Yeah. There is no one thing. Giving it a pronoun gives it life. And that is one of the most terrifying yeah. uh, cinema cinematic tricks I've seen in a long fits time. Right, fits right in I, with the thematic elements of this film, too. Yeah. So. I, I think that um, a, a lot of the, the the discontent about that particular um, aspect of whether it was fleshed out or fleshed out at all, like, equally enough... Um, plays into sort of the the gratifications that you project onto a film like this because we have to remember the the um the the marketing for this film the the promotion for this film was deliberately scant was deliberately very much stripped down where even if even if you had watched like the final trailer going into it like you wouldn't know entirely what the film was about you might have like an inkling, and really, it's better off if you don't know what it, the, uh, what, it's, what, it, what the film is. One about. of the things that I very much appreciated, and I um, I had to feel like it at it, it some small level for me personally, who always looks into things way too much, uh, was a bit of a a stab at um, another director who goes out of his way to try to clue in the audience to things. Oh boy. But oh boy. the use of the red door, uh, yeah. after the use of red items in the sixth sense here, yeah. uh, is a bit misleading because that really has nothing to do with anything. I, Yet it's in the poster, yeah. and it is mentioned in the trailer that, oh, there's a significance behind this the red door. The door stays shut. It just well, happens to be red. I, there I, is I, significance, though. I, I think yeah. that... Well, I'm just um, saying, if that door remains closed, I'm just saying, if that door is never opened... The, all the psychological tension is sucked out of this movie. Right. The only reason why there's any suspense and there's any psychological turmoil is because there is a door that leads from their closed-off, desolate life mm-hmm. to the actual world. It, it is, but but yeah. it was it was a. I'm just saying, people looking for more than that. No, no, but, but, but not you. But it, it, it at least was the the um, the. Mentioned that the door happened to be red. 
Uh, no, it's definitely garish and yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Just like the handle that or the door handle from the Sixth Sense happened to be it's red. The only thing of color in this movie, I, right, and I'm not saying that there aren't mm, colors. There's there's green, there's foliage, but you know, right. I'm, I'm but an artificial artifact that is actually colored on its yeah. own. Yes, I understand. It yeah. just se- seemed to me, at least, to be an artifact that was meant to, at least in some capacity throw off the audience's scent to think that this was going to be like the village and it ended up being a totally different film in a much better way. Yeah, I, um... Yeah, this film is so fucking good. I I, I, I lost my train of thought for, for like one sec, but no, the, 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 the emphasis on it, I was like, I feel like a lot of people are, are, are sort of hung up on that. And it's like, this is not the film that you thought it was going to be because they literally did not tell you explicitly what it was going to be. It is it is less of a horror film. It is less of a horror film in that is that is more of a a a psychological powder keg drama couched within sort of the pretense of like a horror of a of a horror film. Yeah. I I still think people get way too bogged down as to what they can call a horror film. As if, like, if I don't laugh at a comedy, that doesn't mean I say, well, that it's not a comedy. If I'm not seeing <laughs> at least three teenagers get their shit just, well, like, hacked to pieces, then, it's, a, that, then that, it's not a horror film. Yeah, it's not say, a horror film. I'm saying that's that a trope. But I'm saying trope, yeah. some people have this subjective ideology that only seems to apply to horror as a genre and not to other... Like, people will say, oh, yeah, Ted 2 didn't make me laugh, but if you were to classify it, it's a comedy. People don't have the same, for whatever reason, compassion when it comes to the horror genre as a whole to say, oh, that didn't scare me, so it's obviously not a fucking horror Well, I will say this, and and obviously we've had this discussion before regarding Don't Breathe. Which is a horror Uh, film. That's fine. However, I will say this. um, Although I am willing to agree with your statement that you just made. I will say the horror genre as a whole is definitely, I feel like more than any other genre up for interpretation in certain aspects of it. I just think it just encompasses so much. I, well, I mean, that's, but, but then it encompasses more. Than, well, it's pretty easy to think that Gothic romance and, uh, paranormal activity franchise are a part of the same genre. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they have the same goals, but you, <laughs> they are closer to each other than they are to like a romantic comedy or to, uh, you know. But, but this film, as I mentioned when we just started talking about it, I feel like this film um, is a lot closer to other genres like suspense and mystery than it is to horror for me personally. And not saying that this isn't a horror film, because I would say this is a horror film more than Don't Breathe is. But, um... I... Well, what's funny is I would say the overly <laughs> horror aspects of the movie are the film's worst parts. Hmm. Uh, the nightmares that tra- uh, Travis has, which I'm not saying are bad. Like, I don't... Like when you see when you hear my rating, you'll pretty much know that I really don't have anything to say against this movie. Yeah, but that was the only time when actually I was like, "We don't need this." <laughs> I'm just saying because this situation is terrifying. You know, like the nightmares. <laughs> the situation alone is terrifying. It is, and the nightmares as like. Uh, 
I just didn't think we needed. I think it. I think on a second viewing they'll be really meaningless. I think yeah. I think the first time it, seeing it when you don't necessarily know everything that's going on, it could have it could have only led a different good direction. The thing that will save them upon repeat viewings mm-hmm. is that they are character based. Maybe pointless to a degree, but the first nightmare he has, he finds his grandpa beyond the red door. So that's, you know, obviously the fair of, well, what ends up happening to Travis, basically. Um, the second one is definitely sexual frustration. Uh, so I, I, I'll i give it credit that it doesn't, so simply, at least, whether it was a studio note or whatever, at least they had the decency to make sure it was tied to something real, which is, of course, the whole point of this movie. But outside of those nightmares, the most supernatural thing if you can even call it that, which I won't, uh, that happens in this movie, is that a dog barks at something in the woods and takes off. Like, that is one of the only times that the movie even slightly flirts with this otherworldly it. And that could have just been nothing. I was going to say, and yet that happens every fucking time you take a dog out to the goddamn woods. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, there's nothing. As someone who has dogs, you would know this. Now, I will say that it... um... I'll disagree with you a little bit. Is that's the only time because I thought that was the closest. Oh, no, I was just saying when the dog returns, now we get a lot of confusion happening at that point because you have the dog who ends up in that room. You have uh, the child who ends up in a totally different room, laying face down. True, he may or may not well, uh, have the the disease. Some that's, people think yeah. that ambiguity in this movie somehow defies logic. Well, which let's just say. <laughs> the child face out whatever like it is logical to think that the child opened that door at some point while yeah. he was sleepwalking and I'm not saying that's the definitive answer but mm-hmm. as long as that answer exists we can't def- we can't say anything supernatural in this movie but that's is happening the, but that's the great and thing about the only reason why we think that is because of this goddamn title and yeah, because well, of people's perceptions of the horror genre as I a whole. I don't think that's exactly only because of the title. I mean, the actions of the characters definitely drive that home to a certain degree. How do you feel about the... the... If this was called The Sickness... If this was... I like it. Nice, if dis- this was... nice disturbed reference. Oh, boy. David Dreamin. Fuck that guy, Or if this was called, uh, you know, The Woods. Or if this was, you know, if this has a more tangible, concrete title, paired with marketing, that I, I just, I don't see as many people freaking out about, <laughs> and nobody on this podcast, so I'm not no, like, going out either. Title, but, I like it. Yeah. I, I I think so as well, but I I genuinely think this movie in and of itself is partly uh, doing battle with conceptions on the now, horror genre. Here, 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 here's a question. Can I ask this really quickly? Yeah. Um, do you feel like the title is just a interesting, cool title, or do you think the title went out of its way to be deliberately misleading? I think I don't neither. Think it's deliberately I actually misleading. think that it is extremely obvious and people are missing Occam's Razor, which is that supernatural is what you want to reach out on because that is less terrifying than the human explanation. Hmm. But it's pretty obvious to me, even if I maybe wouldn't be able to articulate it to some, like, what what were you going to say? I Well, I was going to attempt to try to articulate that. It's like it's just sort of the – it's the primal – 
primordial fear of the dark. It's what dwells in the dark. It comes out at night. It's 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 it's. I'm I, I think the the best way for me to sort of describe what happens in this film without actually explaining it is sort of paraphrasing a quote from Margaret Atwood, which is that war is is a failure of language to mitigate the divide between ourselves and the other and the other is in sociological terms anything that is alien or foreign to us and in that way like in in the case of of it comes at night will and his family however relatable they are they are not Joel Egerton's family, and so they will always be framed as the other. Well, Joel Egerton really isn't family either. So. No, see, why do you say well, that? Why, I do, you, why do you say that? Yeah, I want to. I want. Because I remember you said that, and I couldn't yeah. remember. But that's still not. I don't think. I mean, he's not. S- he's not Travis's father. Well, we don't know that though. I thought he was though. Yeah, like, I think. You I sure? Think, Travis. I'm, Travis. No, black. I, no, see, no. So here's here's what I want to say. <sighs> well, about I mean, that. come you on know, now. No, but, but, but no. But here's where here's it could be. No, okay, but like could be is what I, I want to say about that. The, about the that. way he says it, the way in my in my view, the way Joel Edgerton says it, as you can only says trust. What? Oh, you can only trust family. The way I took it as the he means is that you can only trust people you are blood related to. Okay, here's here's where I'm here's where I'm going to assert the the fact that I my opinion as the only black person and a mixed person on this on this podcast, I was actually very struck about that family dynamic just because you know, I've met a lot of people who come from like mixed race families. There are, <laughs> You're going to say white people. No, I've I've met a lot of no, I've 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 met a lot of other I've met a lot other, of white people. I've, I've met day. a lot of lot of other black people They're who come from racist. like mixed mixed race families <laughs> that you know they don't necessarily have the same complexion as me. Some some of them are just as as dark as as their as as their 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 black counterpart parent or whatever. Yeah. But it's just like in this in this case. It kind of dovetails into what I like about the ambiguity of this film in that you don't really need to when, – when you see Joel Edgerton and his, and his son and his wife, they are the most mundane thing in this entire situation. You might notice it, but they are the one thing that seems to sort of make sense in all of this sort of like senselessness about it because even, like if you, if you really think about it, if you take a step back, if you think about it, like – it the, the the whole concept of how they're able to survive in this place, like you can break it apart. It was just like if Joel Egger- Egerton is a, a history professor, where do you think he met his wife? Why is his wife able to be able to like uh, 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 filter water in such a way? And why do they? That was live? awesome, by the way. That was fucking awesome. It was great, and like you didn't you chemistry didn't, teacher. You, yeah, they you met did, at school. But yeah, you didn't need to say what her role was. No. You're just able to fucking deduce it. I really quickly to to your point, Alex. Yeah. The other thing is too. Most of this movie takes place at night, so how can you really tell who's black and who's white? <laughs> so, anyways, wait. Are we moving on from the subject? Not quite. Okay, Not quite. I, let, actually, let Alex, I have let actual Alex thoughts when yeah. you're done. Are you yeah. shitting me with this? This yeah. fucking guy. What yeah. a piece of shit. Anyway, continue. You're, you're not counting these as actual thoughts. Yes. No, I'm I kinda... meant what I just said was not an actual. Oh, yeah. thought. I see. I just, okay. Like I have an actual genuine. Thought. I thought you meant I have actual thoughts on no. like your bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> please continue. So what I was referring to more is that when that line was uttered in the the tone in which Joel Edgerton's character says that line. Uh, 
it made me feel like Travis was going to turn on him at some point, which I was, it was just one more thing to pile on to have me looking forward to seeing how this whole circus was going to finish at the end. So, but like the circus. This, this film really does go off the rails in the last five minutes, by the way. Oh, yeah, it does. It's quite good. Too. I want to ask about those last. Okay. Go I ahead, wanna ask Nick. A question go ahead, Nick. Alex, so. When looking at that line uh, in a vacuum, mm-hmm. would you have that same reaction if Travis was white? No, no, no. Um, I no, I am just 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 so, being, just, be, just being realistic. No, no, right, right. So I'm just saying. So if the absence of, and I'm not saying we can always, right. We don't live in a perfect world, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. So I, for me at least, and I, I okay, this is the only time I will say this, mm-hmm. and I feel like a piece of shit liberal. Just say it. But this is one of the few times where I watched a movie like this, mm-hmm. and I never once thought about the fact that it was a mixed family. I mean, right, yeah. I it, noticed who was black, because, who was but, white. No, because other films of that would would put that on on on, on highlight. Yes. I, I thought of them as one unit. Yeah. Because of the clear, I would think, divide between us versus yeah, but them. Yeah, here, here, like, here's the thing. Black or white, at least you could feel a little... I guess I just thought race was so yeah. no, but inconsequential could, could to this entire... Little, does it matter little... if you're black or white? Oh, for fuck's sake. There, you could at least feel the discontent a little bit between Travis and yeah. his father, right? So... You may be white. But... <laughs> For, for, for me, and and wow. I don't, I don't in this specific instant because I would consider myself not racist when it comes to. It ain't easy being white. It ain't easy being black. It's definitely not easy being white. Let me tell you what. Oh, yeah. Um, not in Trump's market. <laughs> wow. So. I, but yeah, man. I just that's just uh, that's just the reading I got on this. Yeah, I, I don't. I always say that because of the fact that halfway through the film, I was like, "Holy shit! This is one of the few successful movies to go not not go out of their way, but to portray a mixed family in which even in a horror setting, it's where it didn't feel like a very special episode of yeah, something. Yeah, it didn't actually become like. Yeah. Well, can we ever really trust otherness? Like you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that. But and, yeah, I, I I think that I personally think that it, it goes way way into how much it doesn't tell you, but also it also is able to tell you some stuff via the actual environment, like the actual hallway leading up to the red door. You see, um. Highlighted by the light, you see all of these different family photos, and you see yeah. all these other situations that they've already been in. And I'm just like, you're able to sort of like peripherally piece together that there is a history, and that I, there I is a never a, said that there wasn't. No, well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there no, isn't, no, no, but, but I'm like, I'm saying it made made it more plausible, and it made it more it made it more realistic me, for me. He, he could let me say he could, could be Travis's father and right. have always been his father figure and not be his biological exactly. father. Yeah, that's well, that's, I, I never that's said true he too. wasn't. Yeah. But the first time we talked about it, I thought you meant, so I'm not oh. saying you, whatever, that somehow like in this post-apocalyptic world that he, like, they met up and then they became a family. No, I, I, so, I, I, but because of that, yeah. that, that just goes against the entire framework of what this movie is I doing. I guess we can shock this up to another instance where language has failed to help us mediate ourselves between our own opinions and the oh, opinions shit. of others. 
Shit. So, Tucson, you already mentioned wanting to hit on a little bit more. Let's talk about that final scene, because that is quite delightful. What's the final scene, though? Just, well, let's talk Just the yeah. final final let, sequence? Let, let's talk about the, the scene in the woods. The final and then leading up to the... I mean, the climax of the film, which is the scene in the woods, and then the denouement, which leads to the uh, very interesting, bleak uh, final image of this film. I mean, I I love that scene, and I've talked to some friends about it who said that they just kind of interpret it as very smart characters doing something stupid, and it's like, you would do the exact same thing if you were in that type of situation. And I really want to ask this question. I, I, I very much enjoyed that scene. That's my takeaway from it, and we'll delve more into that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a, 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 a very fruitful question, a very edifying question to this whole discussion about that final scene was who who did you empathize with more? Which family did you emphasize empathize with more? Because the more that I think about it, I don't begrudge I don't begrudge either side for what they did. Because I think that from Will's family's perspective, they know they believe that Travis is the one who opened that door. And he and, also is and, the one. And, and is the one who, <laughs> who probably did open that door, given that he's he's prone to falling into these fugue, like, dream states that he's not able to explain. And then you think of the child who is just like, I don't remember, which is just absolutely fucking terrifying, too, which elicits more doubt in that respect. So now both families are doubting each one's respective children. And each 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 respective's child is now at risk and what would you do to protect your family let alone your child and that's what leads to this final confrontation and i i i'm just kind of like curious of like what your read on that is i mean me personally like i feel like nobody is in the right and nobody's in the wrong and, yeah. and that's why it's such a a horrifying horrible situation to be in because as I was mentioning uh, earlier before we started this episode, that they should have all died at the end of this because there's in, – in this world that well, they are in – they will. They will. Right. But, but yeah. in this world that <laughs> – no, like on screen, like in that oh. final scene, in my, myself personally thinking that because in, in this specific world, whether it be something that there is no escape from or it's their minds that there is no escape from – uh, this is really it. And now that, let's face it, Joel Edgerton has just straight up murdered people. Uh, and boy, um, talk about Riley Keough being a fantastic actress. There is that that could have easily been so not authentic when she's screaming about her baby being dead. Yeah. And yet it was one that of was the most terrifying. heartbreaking, terrifying yeah. moments uh, I can recall in recent memory. And then uh, she gets, she gets, you know. She gets a gift because then he murders her. Like, and it's and it's like so she doesn't have to live with that pain anymore. And it's just, I mean, it's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, but also she could be infected. I mean, yeah. it, everything about that final scene is just fantastic, and yeah. it just it gave anyone who came into this film something that they wanted to see. Like, this is like it has the Tarantino bar scene moment where it's it's had this lead up to having these kind of sort of horror shootout mm-hmm. moment and then it just sort of happens at the climax of the film but it, it just it just was so fucking good there's there's this entire thread throughout the film about the relationship between um offspring and patriarchs i mean the the film itself 
begins with the the death, the interment, and and in the immolation of a patriarchal figure who was who was the grandfather. And then when you have Will and 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 Joel's character who are going out to get Will's family, they are attacked by who we. We have to presume, like the fact, the fact that there's these two people is like that is a father and son duo. When you put them together, is like that's a father and son right there. Well, one of the most crucial scenes for me in the entire movie was when um, during the montage of everybody doing their part, mm-hmm. and you have the the other guy, Christopher Abbott's character, um, showing Travis how to chop oh, Will, wood, yeah. and the way uh, the way Joe Egerton stares at that, yeah. Is way less distrust and more, in my opinion, petty yeah. discordance. Yeah. You know, this something unnatural is happening here because I am not the father and I'm being usurped by this fucking guy who was on girls. Because it's, it's his, it's his patriarchal unit. That's yeah. that's from the actual like plot synopsis. But speaking of of distrust, speaking of distrust. The fucking scene where Joel's character has Will's character like half naked with a burlap sack tied to a fucking tree. That was hot. Uh, well, I thought that was a, a, a very memorable scene in, Me in, in, in itself. Um, Me, yeah. And he, and he asks him some clear questions like, if you fucking lie to me, I will kill you and I will bury your body and I will burn it. And he has to answer all those questions truthfully. And then later on when they are like drinking, drinking he, he like he – Oh yeah, that drinking Which, scene. That drinking scene. That is. Were the... they, were they drinking to have fun, or were they drinking to sow distrust? No, that's not what I'm. I'm getting at. I'm. I'm getting. I were mean, they, he pulled out the alcohol to. I mean they, that to sort of like ply him out his, out with stuff. But, his face at the end of that scene. Because he literally just takes it away the moment. Yeah, no, the moment he lies. No, that, for for nope. me, for me, that was like. Slapped in the face for me, being like, "Oh boy, it's Daniel Plainview plotting his murder." Yeah, <laughs> of his, his, I'm finished. Yeah, hell, you guys have a point, Allie? Nope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I, 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 when when Will said that, like, yeah, it was just me and my dad. I was like, I thought you said you had a brother. Like, oh fucking shit! Here is the seed of doubt. This is the thing that will grow and, and kill us yet, all. And yeah, that just. Could it have been a coincidence that he calls him his brother? Yeah. yeah. But that's that's the thing you don't know, and that's the yeah. seed of doubt. And like, that's holy what I don't fucking understand shit. about the naysayers who are upset with this movie having less of a concrete, supernatural uh, analogy, which is how is the meat on this fucking bone not enough for a full meal? You know, it's one thing to be disappointed maybe by the marketing, but – what you're getting completely serves this purpose where that would actually be superfluous. But who mold the dog? Where'd that thing go? Who gives a I, shit? Who that's, gives that's, a shit? I'll that, give that, you that's, one that's guess. Exactly. A fucking creature in the woods. You know what I think mauled the dog? Obvious. I think Travis fucking it was, mauled the dog. It was Adrian. he opened the door. It was Adrian Brody from the village. He's yeah. the one. Who knows? I, I mean, considering this is A24... I, I don't know. I wouldn't put it, you know, and this is the A24 cinematic universe. I wouldn't put it against maybe like an alternate deleted scene, maybe a deleted ending where it's revealed that Warren Beatty's out there uh, in the woods. Saying, oh, also I'm, reading the I'm wrong I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. It's the witch. 
I, I, I am so sorry, you guys. Oh, look at Faye Dataway. Isn't she? God damn it. Had plastic surgery. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I. I <laughs> they call them balls. <sighs> balls with. By the way, Warren Beatty shouldn't make any more films, right? Shouldn't make any more speeches, apparently. <laughs> um. And, and, okay, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, go ahead. One more thing is, and these are the same people who love The Witch, and I love The Witch. Mm. But I'm sorry, if I made a list of my 100 favorite witch movies, I doubt The Witch would be at the top. Not because it's not a great movie, but if you were to go into that based on the title, this is Where's not, the witch? This is not fucking Hocus Pocus. Where's the fucking witch? Just, this isn't Halloween Town. Where are the witches? I mean, just, h- however, I will say this. Um, can you imagine a Halloween spe- Town I'm version of the witch? not more of a witch. S- specifically talking about uh, the term witch, I mean, witch hunts are a uh, proud thing yeah. of humanity's past of basically any proud woman. American tradition, hey, even. And any woman who says, I know how to read, witch! Yep. Yep. <laughs> who taught you how to read? <laughs> Who taught you to read? You must be a witch. Where's her broomstick? Yeah. Fucking lady in the water. Yeah. Literally got to put that lady in the water, and if she doesn't die, then she's a witch. Um. Anyway, I want to ask a, a question about... What do you say to criticisms of the film that it's not... I say, the, fuck you. I didn't finish my question. Well, that's what I say. Toussaint, continue with your thought. What do you say to accusations that the film isn't original enough and that what? it... it, it it relies too much on like beaten tropes from like other better Get films. Get the fuck out! I of say, here. watch every movie ever made. Yeah. Okay. Done. How about how about if we want to talk about the horror genre? How about all the retreads that we've seen for decades in the horror genre? I mean, let's 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 focus. Let's just focus on forget the story. Like, just put that to the side. Let's talk about the quality of the lighting, the sound design, the score. Uh, the cinematography here. I mean, we're talking about all of this on a technical I, level, which is something that I appreciate I, deeply. Well, damn, stop doing. Are you, are you speaking yeah, but, tongues? Are you possessed? I mean, is he sick? You you have, did you open the red door? You have so you have so many films like Paranormal Activity, The Blair Witch Project, Saw that are in the horror genre yeah. that have have just pretty much gone to the fucking bank yeah. on making these cheap But even if you films. go one step further and you look at something that was a breakout hit, in very much in the same line of this movie, it follows, okay? Mm-hmm. That... Oh, it follows! Yeah, I know. But can you really say that It Follows did that much more than the original Halloween film? It took I, the same I, I growing tension. It did. And it just used a different metaphor. And I, I like that. I, I'm not saying I don't. I love that film. But I'm yeah. just saying that's all horror is, reappropriating our fucking biggest fears. Yeah. And it, and, it, and what I liked about It Follows, I'm not going to just try to go on a, on a tangent about this. At least like, Please don't. At I least when that. it when it did <laughs> sort of like recontextualize those same sort of tropes and those same type of like um, these oral nuances about it, I feel like – Did you just say oral? Oral. Like as in – You a, said oral. I said as in a, okay, but- A-U-R. R A L. Pants are looking a little full. As in, as in sound. I'm sorry. Whatever. Um, the the way that it that, that it sort of like recontextualized these different nuances. It didn't uh-huh. feel clawing. It didn't feel like 
it was trying to play entirely into nostalgia, but it was really more trying to like hone into a mood rather than of any one referent. And I sort of appreciated it for that. It sort of has a timeless quality to it, and, and it's unreality. It's characteristic unreality, um, sort of like this film as well. So, let's... So if- I'm just saying, if, if it is oral, that it does come at night. Shut the fuck up. God damn. So let's uh, wrap this up a little bit. And thank you. And go to final thoughts and ratings, <laughs> if Tucson can handle it. Yeah. Uh, he can handle oral. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stop. Wow. So, Tucson, uh, we're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me- this is all your fault. Do you want me to go? Yeah. I, yeah, you can. <laughs> All right. I really enjoyed this film. Don't you fucking do that, Nick. Do Thank you, Toussaint. Anyway. <laughs> anyway <laughs> I'd like to, to give this film a... a High five. A four out of five. Um, because that's just like the highest rating that I give to any film upon like a first viewing. Wow. I would very much Stop. like to... No, but... That, you know that's me. You used to get four and a half out of the gate. I do? You used to. You have on this show before. Uh, I'll give this one a four. I'm, I'm just kind of like filling out a four pressure. right now. If he doesn't but... want to do oral, he doesn't have to. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to watching this film again when it comes out on on, hey. on video. And maybe even like catching it again like towards the tail end of its theater run. Because, you know, I... I Really It'll did enjoy like this film. Next week, yeah, I was yep. gonna say. I will. Um, you know what? Let's uh, let's let's put a pin in that. Let's let's okay. figure out a time to go see it again. I'd be down. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. So yeah, I also very much enjoyed this film, um, and I will give this a four out of five. Uh, oh, and uh, I, what a I snob. I've given fives first time. <laughs> I out, know. You so, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Go over back over there and get your mouth ready. Um, Shut the fuck up. Don't you so, like what I got you? That's why I come <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not going to. No. You might want to just step away. Just don't. Oh, boy. So, uh, I think this film, which is totally not in my bag, this is totally not a film that I should uh, like this much, but it just does so many things. And I, um, I'm i a huge fan. I think this is a great film for really anybody out there. Uh, if you're looking for something that you want to just sit down and enjoy, good filmmaking, this is a really good spot to be in. Uh-huh. There's just not much to say about it negatively for me, and, and other than this is not the exact kind of film that I always like, which is probably why I didn't give it an even higher rating first time out. But um, so much good work here and so many things to just dive into and enjoy. Um, and this is just a fabulous film. So four out of five for me on the first time through before it comes at night. Go ahead, Nicholas. Yeah, uh, It Comes at Night, uh, I thought was fantastic. I thought it's uh, easily the best movie I've seen all year. Um, it's it's drama at its most purest and barest form. It, it is it, There is nothing in this movie that is excessive, uh, superfluous. Yep. Um, you okay there, Tuzan? Bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Dude, we did that episode like 80 episodes ago. I want to okay. back that off. Um, 
sorry, Tucson. It's just getting a little giddy because he was promised oral. Um, Shut the fuck up! So, uh, yeah, no, I absolutely thought this movie was fantastic. I think, at the very least, I, you know, certainly I, I, I like to think of myself as empathetic. So, you know, if you don't love this movie, if you don't like this movie, that's fine. But I think everybody should give it a chance because even if the movie leaves a bad taste in your mouth afterwards, I, I can't... Yeah, Tucson, I'm looking at you. I can't understand who wouldn't be at least enraptured by what's happening the moment it's happening. Like, it is immediate. It is uh, adrenaline pumping, and it is uh, horrifying in many ways. So I thought the performances were fantastic. I thought the, the script was great. The lighting was otherworldly in this movie. And um, every time uh, the Travis would like enter a frame from left or from right with the lantern, uh, I would have like a mini orgasm because I just thought it was so beautifully shot. And the way that that w- would, in and of itself, direct your eyes, which, like the title, <laughs> is a smokescreen for what's actually, you know, uh, this so-called it. I mean, we all have... Here's the thing. I think people, when they hear, like, night in a title or in some kind of dramatic reading, they they, they don't think of night. They think of darkness. And here, night is actual night. It's the time of day. It is this realm in which product... Well, you do know that the night is darkest just before the dawn, right? That is true. Mm-hmm. But it, it it is the realm in which... Oh, did you come out with that, bro? Night. We, we were talking about Aaron Eckhart earlier, so that's 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 great. That's that's good. That was probably his biggest claim to fame, right there. Is that line? Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. What I was going to say <laughs> is that night, and in this movie especially, is less an absence of light and more the realm in which productivity uh, decreases and the mundanity of our everyday lives make ways for the terrifying thought that we truly are alone and we will fucking murder our family if we get the chance. Uh, so I loved It Comes at Night, and I thought it was easily a four and a half out of five. Ooh, holy shit, Nick. Look at this guy. Definitely not a snob. It wasn't the rating that made me go, holy shit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, seriously, job, I will murder you too if I have to. <laughs> Now, this is uh, definitely a, a film that uh, anyone should check out if they're able to. And, yeah, I'm sure this will be on some streaming service down the road uh, late in the summer. So I will say, if you're going to see this for Black Phillip, you will be disappointed. Oh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's not enough here. Uh, even Marvel <laughs> has bigger Easter eggs than this one. So. So, uh, if you have any thoughts on uh, the film It Comes at Night, or about the genre, or whichever genre you want to classify this most as, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, if you can, at Film Tank Show. Coming up on our next episode, two things to get excited about, because first off... Uh, our friend Brian is going to rejoin us Brian! for the first time Brian! since uh, late in 2016. So this is this is yeah. exciting. The for last us. thing he did was uh, first, first girl, girl I, I loved. loved. Yeah. Oh, we said it at the same time. Adorable. Oh, anytime, buddy. Um, yeah, and we always have usually pretty in-depth discussions, especially when it regards universes. So there's a chance this will be a lengthy episode. Maybe not. 
Uh, I don't think it's going to turn into the Batman vs. Superman three-hour marathon. But I pretty much am positive that it will still be a somewhat lengthy episode. Uh, And that is because we are going to be discussing the Matrix trilogy. Uh, This is something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time. And mostly because I always have wanted to talk about the original Matrix film. And unfortunately, you have to include the other two, really, if you ever want to talk about it. Not unfortunately. I'm very much excited talking about all three. Oh, you could be excited about talking about it, but they're... At least for me, um, and we'll obviously, I'll at least obviously hit on this uh, coming up on our next episode, but there's a pretty definitive shift uh, from the intrigue of the first film, and then you go into the second and third film when it turns into a... Orgy. That is very much true, (laughs) and it turns into a different uh, ultimate goal than we saw in the first film. I will agree with that. It, it does ring of, a, of an orgy that goes on a little too long. Uh, but I am also a minor... <laughs> Who invited Tucson? I am a minor redeemer for the, the the Matrix sequels because I feel like you should look at them as a single piece because they were both they were both produced at the same time they're yeah. both halves of the same whole and you can say this in respect regardless of the quality of both of them like their their relative quality compared together is like it's sort of subpar to that of the original I will say that but meaningfully I feel like it builds upon the themes in the first film and that it presents a question that is not explicitly asked in the way that the first one is, but is still important. It's going to be a lengthy episode. It's going to be a lengthy episode. So anyway, don't you bring that agent Smith is the one shit to me though. I will slap that shit down. Never said that was the truth. Thank you. We can talk about it more. I'm already dreading this episode. (laughs) Why did I agree to this? So we'll be talking about that coming up on our next episode here on Film Tank. As always, you can find our episodes on FilmTankShow.com or also on iTunes or Stitcher as well. From my guys, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for catching up with us here on Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. But seriously, what, what comes in? Randy Quaid. <laughs>